Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. to the world-famous God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. I can't believe we're doing this again. Again. <laughs> Still, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm a little, actually, a little I'm hiatus starting to back. enjoy it. I'm, uh, this is actually becoming enjoyable again after our little sabbatical, our healing yes. sabbatical. Our rest. Our rest. What did you do in your sabbatical? Um, uh, looked for a job, pretty much. <laughs> did you find one? Uh, one found me. Actually, I was in a very unique place of fielding multiple calls at the same time. Not too many pastors get that sort of thing. And so that was, that was oddly unnerving in a, in a very real way because each church needed a pastor and, uh, I felt drawn to each one for different reasons, but this is the one that seemed to fit the best. So here we are in Cleveland, Ohio. Yes, beautiful Cle- day. Cleveland is it? Is it night? What's what's your uh, what's your basic temperature out there? It's about 80, 85. Whoa. Uh, not not humid, just a very pleasant you're sunny up day. There. You're feeling. You're starting to feel a little bit of shades of summer settling. Yeah, in yeah. We went and got some shave ice this afternoon around shaved the corner. Ice. New new Hawaiian <laughs> shave ice place just opened up around the corner. How is that different uh, from Italian ice? Um, sh- shave ice is kind of like a snow cone. Oh, okay. All right. It's kind of, the, but the shave's better. It's not pebbly like your snow cones. It's, it's, it's more like snow. Yeah. A snow cone is really like ground up ice. Yeah. And then occasionally you get like the boulder in there and you break a crown or a molar yeah, on it. Yeah, that's not good. But that's shaved good. ice, I take it, has, just has a nice texture to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unlike, you know, in Hawaii, you go to like Ululani or some of the really good shaved ice places and it's homemade fresh syrups, you know, little flecks of guava and the guava syrup, mm. little, little flecks of liliquois and the passion fruit syrup and all that. The, the, this is all processed syrup which is really <laughs> but i gave the boysenberry a shot today i, I had the uh, blue hawaii which is kind of a coconut flavor and i had a strawberry colada which was pretty good and then i went with the boysenberry as a third flavor and i was i was surprised the boysenberry was actually quite good so, so a little, it, it, little is, taste of orange county california right there this is shaved ice with syrup yeah yeah. It's, uh, now italian ice i think the flavor is actually in the ice i, I right think that's, that's like, yeah more of almost a uh, sorbet. sorbet. Yeah. yeah, those are yeah. good. Italian ice oh, yeah. is good. Very, very good. It's it's second everything only to... Italians make are awesome. It's awesome. You know, that's so true. Let's it... face it. My people can cook. <laughs> oh yes. 
Oh, yes, they can. <laughs> your, your people know how to eat and how to cook. I, I, they, I will grant that. They might not bring much more to the table, but they can cook. They don't so need to that. bring anything more to the really, table. What, they, what more do you need to bring? No, not at all. You just bring an appetite and you're, you're all set. How's the tiki bar? You, last time we talked, you were working on a tiki bar. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's coming along. Uh, I've been putting up some track lighting with leds that you know you can adjust the color to and everything is pretty cool beautiful uh but i i got uh, a couple of tracks that showed up dead so it's time to return and replace but that's, yeah that's, that's that's what you get when you order the cheap stuff that's you what i call chinese know. quality control yeah you just ship the whole thing over and you let the customers sort out the ones that work from the ones that don't well this is the difference between ordering the three head track with uh uh, you know, uh, four feet of, of track and three heads, and, and it's 34 bucks versus the $150 for pretty much the same thing. But we, you know the slogan, quality. you get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a gamble, but uh, coming along nicely. I think you saw some pictures on Facebook. We've I got did. Our, our surfboard, our Royal Ohana Room surfboard mounted on the wall, and Broer Erickson's Tiki that he... Uh, Chainsaw carved for me. It looks really cool. Oh, that's cool a that's a Broer creation. Yeah, yeah. You know that boy's got talent. He's that, <laughs> that boy has some. You know, it's it's kind of like deeply hidden. If you if you ever meet Broer, you don't think that there's any talent there. Well, but we, that that boy's got talent. He's he's the Yosemite Sam of the LCMS. Yeah. <laughs> you, you meet him, you're totally. <laughs> you're just waiting for him to start shooting guns in the air and stuff. But uh, just might. He, he actually is. You know, he does jewelry, he does yeah. carving, and, and now he's taken up embroidery. We may have to have an intervention on this one. Well, you know, being, being one who's interested in craft myself, I'm not, I'm not going to judge. I won't judge because I think he will bring a manliness to embroidery that we don't really expect there. So give For him a what chance. Be open-minded, Craig. All right. It's the they, 21st century. Actually, I was, just about, I was just about to repent before you said that. Because I remembered Rosie Greer. You remember Rosie Greer, football player? I remember player, Rosie Greer. The, yes, very much. He so. he used to do cross stitch. That's all right. The time. That's yeah. right. So craft if, craft is noble, and 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 Brewer truly is a craftsman. I've seen some of his other work, and and anybody he does who, nice stuff. I've been reading this book called A Splintered History of Wood. Because you know that wood is kind of the medium I enjoy working with right. when I get around to doing it. But but uh, each ep- each chapter has a different facet of the lore of wood, and not all of it is woodworking. So they have a chapter on the the chainsaw sculptors, and some of these guys are amazing. The precision. Oh, yeah. The precision that they can wield with a chainsaw. I'm happy if I don't cut a limb off, and I mean my own limb. You know, I'm, that the the limb I cut off is the limb of the tree and not one of mine. But these guys, intricate carving, and now they have like these mini chainsaws too. They're like these tiny little little uh, super fine. They they can do like letters of the alphabet with a chainsaw. Don't you just get a router? No, no, it's got to be chainsaw. They're purists. <laughs> They're purists. Come on, standards. Speaking of router, I, I've got a router, and Whoa, uh, careful I've got that. a length of length of wood, and I'm going to start working on uh, carving rails for the tiki bar with kind of uh, Hawaiian esque kind of right, uh, so design. The two things to remember: one, oh, how, what horsepower did you get? How big of a router did you get? Uh, it's not a big one. It, I, I don't know. It's uh, I don't know. Uh, Eighty horsepower. It's got a V eight. It's usually uh, it's, it's, one and three quarter or three. The the three will do it's, better it's for you. It's the smaller one. Uh, 
be careful. Uh, they can only swing so much of a bit. The other thing is that is a that is that is a bit screaming at between ten and thirty thousand RPM. Oh yeah, they they're moving along fully exposed. Well, I've got this shroud that goes around it with two, with handles on each side. Yeah, yeah. So okay. you can so you can control it. That's Good. why I want the small one. And uh, so you could actually do kind of fine carving work. Yeah. Of course, with me, my history is uh, <laughs> with woodworking, I am an expert at making sawdust. Oh, but sure. But that's about it. Oh, sure. That, that, that's right. Uh, only in the Gospel of Thomas do, uh, does, uh, do boards that are cut short ever become longer again. Yeah, well, it helps when you have the Son of God as your uh, assistant shop, uh, shop hand there. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well, be careful. I don't want to have to do the next episode from the hospital. Eh, you know, I've got ten fingers. I can, I can afford to lose one or two. No, nothing not gives a manicure quite like a router or, <laughs> or a planer. Planers are joiner. Joiners will do a manicure like you wouldn't believe. Look, I'm not as afraid of the router as like a table saw. Table, I'm just terrified table saw, of table saws. Table saw has tasted blood. Those, those things, those oh. things will, those are going to cut off body parts. Oh yeah, yeah. No, those. Have you those ever seen a saw me. stop? It's, no, uh, it, it's uh, a device that um, senses when flesh hits the blade, <laughs> and, and, and it's got a brake that, that immediately clamps down on the, uh, on the blade. And they used to do demos at wood shows with hot dogs. So they'd be, they'd be running a board, and then they'd put a hot dog on the, on the board, and the minute it touches hot dog, boom, thing explodes and stops. And the hot dog is barely grazed. No kidding. Yeah, no, it works. It works. And then the CEO of the company decided to put his hand where his mouth is. And it's wow. on it's on YouTube and it's cringeworthy. You you want to you want to hold your breath while watching YouTube, watch the the chairman and them, CEO huh? or the president and CEO of Saw Stop shove his hand into a into a moving table saw blade and it stops. I mean, he's got a little wow. surf, little surface scratch. That's it. I think they calculated that you could you could get about like a sixteenth of an inch and not do any damage. And so that's crazy. It is nuts. Uh, I don't have one of those, but I know I have friends who do, and they swear by them. So. Hmm. So one one last thing before we actually get to our topics, Paula has Whoa, been doing topic. a, we have a little a little. <laughs> Paul has been doing a little shopping on uh, Amazon for me. Yeah. And uh, this. Oh, no. Oh, man. She got me flarp. Yep. It's, it's just not. There, oh, no, that's, oh, no. That sounds kind of sick. That's better. Oh, there. there. No. Oh, yeah, okay. there. there. So I'm out of practice. I'm really, I'm not. Uh, Did you up lose on my your flarp and all the moves that you were making? You. It you... dries up. It becomes a little brick. <laughs> it's. Uh... <laughs> that's more real than I care to go. I mean, yeah, well, you know, if, it dries up. It's it's actually a lot like your bodily functions. If you don't use it on a regular basis, it dries get up. A little, yeah. <laughs> things get a little concrete in tell there. Me, tell me about it. <laughs> Welcome to the later, the later years of middle age. So your flarp dries up. Remember that, kids out there. <laughs> Sooner or later, your flarp dries up. 
Well, I'm, so, so, hey, I'm so glad. I'm so glad Flarp has come back with the GW. That's that's going to lend a new level of gravitas to the show. We're, we're going to have to send you some. I think. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Yeah. Noise. Noise putty. That's what it's. Uh, <laughs> is that noise. The, is that putty. the PC? The PC term for Flarp is noise putty. <laughs> no, that's what it says on the on the on the jar. Yeah, the but they call it noise putty. Noise putty. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm. I mean, fart putty, some parents probably wouldn't go for that. There would. There'd be letters. and Homeschoolers would, would probably not be allowed to have that so much. They're, they're the ones most likely to have it. Yeah, but their parents don't know that they have it. <laughs> because <laughs> let's, let's face it. When your teacher is mom, it's open season. In what way? I'm well, thinking you learn to hide everything. Oh, you learn to hide <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking the opposite. I mean, especially boys. The, the, the job of every boy, the vocation of every boy is to gross out his mom. Oh, yeah. And there, I think that, that they gross out teachers only as surrogate moms. So if your mom is your teacher, double. You know, this is, this, is, this is half the effort. It's a beautiful thing. Speaking of gross, oh. uh, I, I know that you uh, spent a bit of time <laughs> watching The Royal Wedding. Whoa, whoa. Let's save that. And let's keep you, that in the can. <laughs> Although, now, now, now that you mentioned it, I, I, did bring, I did bring a clip. I did bring a clip. Oh. You know, I don't know why anybody objected to that sermon. The dweem within the dweem. <laughs> <laughs> Too good. Yeah, uh, we did, but uh, I think I, w- I think I'd rather go to the mailbag first. All right, let's go to the mailbag. Let's go to the mailbag. The God Whispers Mailbag, brought to you by Anglican bishops who do royal weddings. Bill. All right, this this comes from a female listener. We do have female listeners. Do you know that? Um, I'm beside myself. I, I think I think they're strangely drawn to the manliness. Yes, dear manly doctors, and and I noticed the the manly is all caps as well. It should be. I'm seeing a lot of discussion about women in combat. Women in combat and the Lutheran Church taking a position against women serving in the military. They did? What do you guys think of that? Love your show. Great to have you back. Hmm. Now, Craig, you are an aficionado of things military. Yes, I used to play Army as a child quite often. There you and, go. And uh, still enjoy it. There um, you go. So I dress up and. Women in. Women. And, LARP. You know, there are probably. Yeah, I, I think I divide the issue. There, there is women in the. You, you okay? Uh, I think you, there's a cough there. Let me check. Yeah, the, let me, let me a, check the other side. Let me get a <laughs> cough drop here. It's uh, 
There's women in military and women in combat. I think there's a distinction. Even in World War II, there were women in the military. And uh, didn't don't I recall that the Southwest Airlines pilot, the female pilot who landed that plane after the engine exploded and uh, exhibited this incredible cool under pressure, I, I believe that she was a military pilot but yes at a time yeah, when women couldn't military serve, trained yeah she couldn't serve in combat roles so they served in support roles but i i know uh many women actually who have who served in world war ii in that kind of support capacity um but uh i think women in the military and women in combat situations what's your take on that you know it's just your world war ii thing you, you reminded me of uh when they would uh build a new bomber like every 15 minutes or you know ridiculous rate that they were building fighter planes and bombers and stuff like that the the people who ferried them over to the the theater of war were usually women pilots yes who did that yeah, 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 yeah. really cool um women in the military no problem uh i i like saluting women in general and you know i'm i'm okay with that and they like it when you salute them. yes yeah um but uh you know, I used to be concerned about women in combat because I thought men will do extreme things to pr protect women, and they would actually put men in danger more. But since uh, women have become so shrill and angry in our culture and <laughs> emasculated men so much, I don't think that that's going to be so much of the case. So I think a lot of guys would pretty much say, hey, you know what? You want to go get shot? Knock yourself out. So, Matter of fact, I'll videotape it. So, <laughs> so your, your take is angry feminists in combat might actually be a tactical advantage. Um, no, I'm just saying men might not go to the extreme because they, and in all seriousness, our culture has conditioned men to not be as protective as they once were. Oh, I see. And, and that's kind of where I'm going with that. I think uh, kind of springboarding from your prior thought before you went down that road, uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of postmenopausal women in combat. Mm. Yeah, uh, you, because there's a fierceness, there's an anger, there's there's a a desire to kill that that uh, com <laughs> comes out post menopause. That I, I think if you sent a bunch of of like sixty year old women to the Middle East, I, I think the the young Muslim terrorists would lay down arms in a second if they were confronted by that kind of army. I'm just saying. You know, there so, is that. Uh, know, I'm trying to think. Uh, was it a couple of years ago that? Uh, as ISIL was doing their worst, there there were some women uh, soldiers. I, I can't remember if they were Kurdish or what, but they were utterly fearless. And the ISIL soldiers hated fighting them because in their crazy religious nonsense, they got the idea that if a woman kills you, you can't go to paradise. <laughs> That's probably so. true. <laughs> that, that I wouldn't put that past them. Yeah, so there's the, there's the shame factor. I think yeah. that's a good tactical advantage. Oh, you too. got killed by a woman. Yeah. What well, a burn. Yeah. <laughs> if you got injured by a woman, you couldn't come back to the hometown after that. Yeah, well, maybe. No, that would be to good. Say. I, I think I recognize the concern that some people have, especially in combat situation of women held captive. Right. Uh, I think that's perhaps distasteful to, to our culture, and certainly it's something I think that makes a lot of men uncomfortable. Uh, taking women away from their families 
uh, in military would be would be another factor. I know some people try to build a biblical case out of it that, that yeah, orders of creation. Yeah, stuff that, the, that that the women's natural role is is in the home and is in the bearing and the nurture of children, whereas the man's natural role is in providing and protecting. So they kind of see a sort of a natural law uh, thing in effect. And there may be some element to that. You know, Luther ran arguments like that in terms of women's inherent strength and stamina versus men's and that were different in that way. You know, the problem I have is that combat isn't like Braveheart any longer. It's 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 done by right. drone remote yeah. control, some bunker in Nevada, you know, just kind of blow up your enemy from from a distance. I'm, I'm reminded of that scene with Vulcan in the adventures of Baron Munchausen, where he has a thermonuclear device and he's trying to explain thermonuclear warfare to Baron Munchausen. And he says, you can blow up your enemy and their women and their cattle and their dogs and their cats all at the touch of a button. And you never have to see any of it. And the Eric Idle character, Baird Hall, says, well, where's the fun in that? (laughs) (laughs) But, but, Um, you know, know, combat is different. Although there is still a place, there's still, you know, ground combat. Yeah, but I I kind of wonder how much of it actually goes hand-to-hand these days. Hand-to-hand with what? With what? I I mean, like trying to stab each other with your knife kind of thing. Versus, you know, I tend to think that about as close as you get to the opposition these days is uh, 50 to 100 yards and you're sniping at each other. But pretty much um, I I don't know how often it actually goes to, you know, grappling and clubbing each other. You know, I think there's the aspect of of aside from native strength or speed or whatever you you need. um, Obviously, in the world of sports, men run faster if you if you had men and women racing each other say the marathon where they all start out together uh but the men run faster uh women tend to have more stamina uh over the super long haul when you get in these super races women win them over men because they have tremendous long-term endurance which kind of fits that role of childbearing and i think pregnancy and childbirth would kill us we'd just be dead Oh, yeah. There'd be one child and that's it. There'd be single parent from there on out because uh, we'd be dead. Um, but also the kind of skill set needed today is different. And I'm, you might be harder pressed to argue that there's a gender difference in terms of skill set, in terms of, you know, who can push a button better. I had heard, and I can't remember if it was the Israeli women uh, who have been in combat for years, um, I think it might be the Israeli women, but uh, that they were not too long ago actually called off the front lines because they were having a problem that the women would not take prisoners. Yeah. They, they just kill everyone. <laughs> and Pro- proving our thesis right there. Well, it's like, yeah, whoa, but, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, but the too much cruelty. <laughs> you know, the psychological impact is don't mess with mama bear. It's the same kind of psychological no thing that goes on there. I'm not positive that it was the Israeli women, but that comes to mind that they were, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's permanently or what, but maybe they needed to be retrained to actually accept prisoners instead of just, Brutalizing everyone and everything. Right. You're threatening my family. I'm going to annihilate you. Well, yeah, and and you know, as as a Jew, your country is your family, and so yeah. don't don't mess with Mama Bear. 
I don't think you can make a really um, strong, if you say, biblical argument. You know, our CTCR, the Commission on Theology and Church Relations, which is kind of a synod subcommittee that tells us what to think and not to think, okay, mm. uh, they, they've come out with a missive on this topic, but, and I haven't read it yet. I think I have it somewhere, but I haven't read it yet. But the uh, mind hive of social media apparently has, or the hive mind, is it mind hive or hive mind? Hive mind yep. of social media apparently has. And I guess they didn't come out like clean enough for some people's uh, tastes. Now, the CTCR isn't CTCR. actually binding on our congregations or anything, is it? No. Uh, it's, a, it's advisory. Now, sometimes, it's a an CTC, opinion. sometimes a CTCR document can become... Uh, a matter of dogma by the synod's reception of it and approving of it, but uh, well, it has to be accepted and approved in in convention, in convention and right? and as such, it, not just simply accepted but made official dogma. Right. But I, I haven't read that yet, and I'm I'm not entirely certain as to what their line of argumentation is. I, I suspect it's kind of uh, pros and cons kind of argument. I don't, but I don't think you can make a strict biblical argument against women serving in military and combat situations. Uh, clearly, there's some heroic women in the Old Testament who did things on behalf of Israel. J.L. is a great example. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed Sisera's head to the floor. Um, that goes with your cruelty right. uh, thing. Deborah was, was a judge, but Deborah didn't lead the army. Barak led the army. But, you know, Old Testament precedent is hard. New Testament, you know, in the early church, uh, Christians couldn't even serve in the military, period. So the, the, the topic is kind of moot. Personally, I don't like the idea of women in combat, but this is personal. I mean, this is just that um, one of the biggest things is you, you pretty much need to be very upfront that if you are taken prisoner, you'll be raped. You just need to know that going in. I think that's and, true. Uh, that That's going to go with the turf, and I think that's why some people are a little squeamish or a little hesitant about that. Yeah, and and uh, especially, you know, given the people that we've fought since World War II, no one has really signed on to the Geneva Convention, and, uh, you, you know, they, they won't play by the rules that we do. Now, and, here's, a, here's a nasty thought. In, in almost, let's just look at it in terms of biological systems and kind of a Darwinian approach to things. Um, a species or a group does not need a lot of males to keep things going. That's true. That's why polygamy was, was always good for population. You, know, you just need a handful of males around. So males in general, in, in, in the biological world, males tend to be more expendable than females. And you're, you're kind of jeopardizing your, your whole people if you put your women out there into combat, that's why my idea of postmenopausal women, but that's probably going to get hate mail. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, it kind of makes sense that, that, that women have only a limited capacity to have children. And if you put your young, healthy women out into combat situations, that, that's liable to take away your, the ability of your population to grow. So that's a factor too. It, it, this is this kind of reflects, I think, on on society's own values and the way it, it views our roles in that society. You know, on the other hand, there's also this fact that as a uh, 
as someone who who has played army as as a kid and but who grew up to be a sports shooter and that sort of thing women are naturally better marksmen than men i've noticed that they are and uh it's amazing that uh, i've seen girls who have never shot a gun before out shoot a guy who's been shooting for the last 10 years and I've seen that with they my take own to eyes it like as a duck well. to water. Yeah, no. I've also seen little 95-pound girls who just fall in love with a big 44 Magnum gun <laughs> that I don't like to shoot, uh, but they they think it's awesome. So I I don't know what that's all about. But well, our weaponry does have a tendency to equalize. Yeah, because in, in back in the Braveheart era, you had to be in good shape. You you had to be able to run with all the armor on. Strength Ride a and quickness. horse, yeah. Swing a sword. I mean, when you look, it's very physical. <clears throat> Warfare is very physical. Now it requires a different skill set. And our weaponry, whether it be rifles, guns, uh, bombs, mortars, whatever you want to do, or you know, fighter jets, that requires a different kind of skill set. And interestingly, women may possess some some abilities there that that are advantageous. I I don't know. Okay, so I need a ruling on this one. A woman. Sitting in a portable building in the middle of Arizona, flying a drone over Afghanistan. Yeah. Combat role? I mean, if she's, like, shooting people, but she's on the other side of the world, See, in no personal danger, except want, if she wrecks the drone, she might be in trouble. But aside <laughs> from that, yeah, you know. Right. You, you want a ruling on that? Yeah. Non-combat. 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 She's, but she's, she's, a no she's personal... actively, like, blowing up terrorist cells. Well, yeah, what, and what fun is that? Um, the, the, uh, but she's not in any personal danger. She's right. in the safety of a bunker. She could be sipping tea, a Darjeeling tea. As a matter of fact, I believe that they are given chamomile to help keep them calm. Keep, keep the nerves the... calm. Yeah, yeah. I but, believe so. But, you know, as long as, and this is where you want to recruit from the video game people. Yes, because those guys are going to there's your skill set <laughs> right there is the gamers. Well, yeah, but that's that to me would be non combat. Uh, and if, quite frankly, to drift from the point, uh, I think that's kind of scary. It, and it's, it's what in the movie, the Terry Gilliam movie, the, that was the whole point is this is scary because the, there's you've almost lost any notion of just war at this point. I need a uh, email from Paul Whitmore uh, ruling on that one. I think Paul's our man to, <laughs> uh, to get us a ruling on, on just that one. war. Is is no 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 is, is, from is the girl in flying the drone fifty thousand miles away? You know, from the other side of Mars or whatever. Uh, is that a combat role or not? Well, we'll we'll await a ruling. In the meantime, I I, I, I I tend to go with you on that. That's not really, but by the same token, you know, she's she's a shooter. In so now that we've dissected the issue, what, what's what's the manly doctor ruling on this? Women in combat, and I don't mean the bunker in Nevada. I mean I mean boots on the ground kind of combat. Women in combat, yay or nay? What say ye? My final ruling? I don't care. You don't care. I don't M- care. Me, not happy about it. Not happy about it. Would not. I, mean, th- I would not want a daughter of mine doing that. No, I wouldn't either. If it was my daughter, I'd be like, no, you know. 
Maybe women's study would be better. <laughs> no, 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 art no, history. no, Art history. No. Take art history. Art history is fine. Neurosurgery. <laughs> Go for it. But no, not anything. Not anything. Especially thing, something called women's studies or gender studies. Please, no. Or I'm cutting off tuition money right there. Man, I'm, I heard I'm someone, so done with that. Someone on the news the other day was talking about some politician who minored in women's study, a guy. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that guy needs to be castrated and sent into outer darkness. <laughs> no, he right has now. been. He has been castrated and will be sent <laughs> into outer darkness. I don't care what his party is. I'm, that, he doesn't have my vote. I'm that's done. That's messed up. All right. So, that's just really messed up. I, well, I think we beat that to death. Yeah. Craig, shall we go to the weird science desk? Yes, let's. All right. All right, this is from, Science. where is this from? Some British poetry and thing. Hang it's on, poetry. i got to hear Shatner for a second. Oh, here Turn we go. Tender eyes to me as yes. deep as any ocean. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. As sweet as any <laughs> harmony. Ooh, she oh. Me with oh, so good! What what a what an artist, so, an amazing artist. The artist man. formerly known as Shatner. Um, <laughs> where is this from? It doesn't matter. It's from some British website. But hey, but, but here's real the real quick. Speaking of Shatner, before you go there, yeah. have you seen the show that he does with uh, with Fonzie? And yes. yes. The four, the four guys plus one traveling all over the world. So awesome. The the one the last year in in Asia was just hilarious. Yeah, it was really good. And they went to Europe this this time, right? I yeah, I believe so. Yeah, season. yeah. It's 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 really really funny. Anyway, uh, sorry. Henry I just Winkler, to... um, Bill Shatner, George Terry Foreman, Bradshaw, and Terry Bradshaw. That's it. And their handler. Yeah, some some younger guy who they just mock incessantly. <laughs> but he's, you he's, know he's having the time of his life. He's kind of the monkey boy that they he, invite he, along. He really is. Here's the here's the headline. Science news. Octopuses, and I beg to differ, but that is octopi in my book, came to Earth from space as frozen eggs millions of years ago. True. <laughs> so here's 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 the lead in, okay? <laughs> Octopi are aliens, quote-unquote aliens, which evolved on another planet before arriving on Earth hundreds of millions of years ago as, quote-unquote, cryopreserved eggs via a process known as panspermia, radical Mm -hmm. new research has suggested. The extraordinary claims were made in a report entitled Cause of Cambrian Explosion Terrestrial or Cosmic? Question mark which was co-authored by a group of 33 scientists and published in, the, in a journal called Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology. Okay. The paper suggests that the explanation for the sudden flourishing of life during the Cambrian era, often referred to as the Cambrian explosion, lies in the stars as a result of the Earth being bombarded by clouds of organic molecules. Wow, Cambrian explosion. <laughs> I knew the flarp was good for something. You know, this is totally plausible, but creationism and intelligent design, idiocy. Completely stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. This is, this is kind of the problem. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, there's one other little factoid. So, so they mentioned the Cambrian explosion, which really is kind of a, an uncomfortable thing because you have this very long geological history of the Earth. And then all of a sudden, kaboom, the fossil record shows just life all over the place, you know. And octopi. <laughs> and octopi. Now, the octopi are not only, interest, they're not only interesting because of the Cambrian explosion. And by the way, they make a great taco, I'm just saying. Uh, but the genome of the octopus shows a staggering level of complexity with 33,000 protein coding genes more, more than is present in Homo sapiens. Hmm. Now, ponder that. They have more protein coding genes than we do. That's protein rich. Right yeah, well, that's DNA rich. <laughs> so so here's the here's the problem in a nutshell is in evolutionary theory complexity means later in the scheme things evolve from simple to complex, right? I guess. So now here you've got what amounts to a very primitive creature with a very complex genetic code. And this throws a whole monkey wrench into the machinery. You see, well, you see the problem. What, what planet did they come from? Well, nobody knows. And ah. <laughs> no, it's just they're looking for plausibility. But but you look at the octopus, large brain, very sophisticated neural system, eyes that are amazing. In fact, our eyes are, are very similar to the octopus eye. Uh, flexible bodies. Uh, they're, and they're smart. If you ask anybody who keeps them, like at these public aquaria, it's hard to keep them in their tank. They have this propensity for escape. Have you ever seen Kang and Kodos on The Simpsons? They're the aliens? Uh, have not. They have tentacles? Uh-huh. They're, 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 they're kind of octopi-ish. And... <laughs> I'm just thinking maybe this, the Simpsons were up on it. So one, one study actually suggests that they're capable of observational learning, that is, by learning, learning by observing others. And I've seen, actually, I've seen things on nature and stuff that have suggested exactly that. But here's the problem, is that they are also very old on the evolutionary scheme. So you have complex and old. This is a problem, as much of a problem as the Cambrian explosion is a problem. And so <laughs> what do you do when your stuff doesn't fit your theory? There's uh, only one thing to do. Go extraterrestrial. Outsource it. Yes, you outsource, outsource it. You got to outsource. <laughs> <laughs> and so ancient aliens comes into the picture. It's got to come from outside the system, right? So apparently, in, in this way of thinking, there was a rain shower of organic molecules and genetic information that somehow just came crashing to Earth, hitchhiking on some asteroid or meteor or something that seeded uh, the complexity of life as we know it today, panspermia. Okay. Works for me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why not. Now, now you, you have said, you, you've said the kind of, um, it's kind of the elephant in the room question. If that's so plausible, then why isn't an extraterrestrial intelligence capable of just simply speaking things into existence uh, an equally plausible explanation? So are you saying God's an alien? 
in in terrestrial senses, he kind of is. In in Genesis 1 terms, he is. He's out there. He's way out there. He's above the highest heavens. He doesn't touch anything. He just speaks. Yeah, he 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 is in a very real sense alien. He's and we even in justification say that we have an alien righteousness <laughs> one from outside well, of us. So, yeah, right. It's, a, it's you know, a I mean, slightly it's, different meaning. It is different. I mean, it's not that you know God has a spaceship; He doesn't need one. But uh, in uh, in an, in another line of reading, I, I encountered a thing called Munchausen's trilemma. Have you ever heard of that? No. Munchausen's trilemma is really interesting. It's it's a mathematical, it's not a dilemma, it's a trilemma. It's kind of a three-way Mexican standoff. Like like in that movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, where the three guys are standing in a triangle and they're all waiting to shoot each other, but nobody knows who's going to draw first. Yes. So it's that kind of a trilemma. The, the Munchausen's trilemma basically says that a thing cannot be proven to absolute truth. Uh, it will either be a circular argument, a regressive argument, or an axiomatic argument. But nothing can ever be proven to absolute truth. So even like the sentence, uh, the Bible is the Word of God, ultimately is a circular argument because we know it's the Word of God because something in the Bible suggests or says that it's the Word of God. So it's circular. Uh, why Munchausen, it refers to when uh, the Baron pulled himself and his horse out of the muck by his own ponytail. <laughs> See? <laughs> so I think you've got a Munchausen trilemma going on here with evolutionary theory. You've got this explosion of life. You've got this old, complex creature called the octopus and his relatives. And it doesn't fit the theory. So you either are going to have a circular theory, you're going to have an axiomatic uh, solution, and that axiomatic solution temporarily is it came from somewhere else. But notice where this goes. What's your next question if I say all this stuff came from outside the Earth, it came from outer space from somewhere else? What's your next question going where to be? Where did that stuff come from? There you go. Infinite yeah. regress. Yes. And it, there's no end to that, is there? No. All nope. the way back to nothingness. And so, so Munchausen wins in the end here. What are you going to say? <laughs> I, well, I, you know, I, I got to love, you know, this is the James Kirk kind of thing of, yeah, we'll short circuit the whole thing by cheating. With, well, with his Kobayashi Maru tactic on the, uh, in his training, he's the only one who ever overcame the Kobayashi Maru scenario because he hacked the system. Everybody's <laughs> got to cheat. Everybody's got to cheat. I mean, creationism is a cheat, too. How did it happen? Gee, wow, what a great mystery. We can't explain it. God did it. It was a miracle. Okay, well, that's the end of that discussion. Let's move on to lunch. Um, and so uh, in, in naturalistic thinking and scientific method where you can't do that, what do you got left? Came from outer space. It's kind of, you know, it, it goes back to what C.K. Chesterton once said. He said, you know, either in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, or in the beginning everything became, came out of nothing all by itself. You don't have a lot of alternatives beyond that. Pretty much. So that's, um, <laughs> I, I do have to say this, I've lost my appetite for the octopus taco, respecting how intelligent and I tell and you, my grandmother was an amazing cook. But she would make octopus, and it smelled like someone was burning a tire. <laughs> it was, 
It was unbelievably nasty. It does have that sort of like Goodyear tire at the start of the Indy 500 vibe to it. There's just, I've never been able to get past that, so Octopus is off my menu. (laughs) And, And if you don't cook it just right, it has the texture of a Goodyear tire. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> not 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 in my uh, not in my wheelhouse as far as uh, food goes. Panspermia, Craig. Panspermia. Panspermia. It came from outer space. Oh. Well, alrighty. I think it's time to uh, to talk about the royal wedding. Oh, now we're ready. I, now I'm ready. Okay, so we're, we're I'm ready. So we're do we ready. have any theme music or anything? Well, for the I, I would put this under the category of our new segment, current issues, etc. Oh, all right. And fail me. Oh, by it's not the right music. <laughs> Start it again. <laughs> I'm so incompetent. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to take after you in my old age. Well, it happens. Craig, I think it's time we take on the royal wedding. The, the, I thought we already talked about that a little bit. No, it's time we, we discuss it. We unpack it. We, we, uh, two men talking about the royal wedding. Shall we? <laughs> this is, we've done women in combat. We've done octopi from space. It's a perfect fit. The royal do, wedding. Do we have music for this? We do. This is under our heading current issues, etc. Oh, Chris Lemker at the Mighty Swirlitzer. I think we need to start a band with him. Oh, he'd be great. He'd just be awesome. So, Craig, did you watch the wedding? I caught parts of it. I caught Will Ferrell's um, attempt at humor by being a commentator on it, which was... (laughs) um, Considering they didn't have a camera inside and they were just basically standing outside, it, it really didn't lend a whole lot. But I did catch the uh, the sermon, and uh, I liked it. I liked the sermon, I got to say. Uh, um, quoted uh, Martin Luther King Jr. quite a bit, but I, I found some gospel nuggets in there. He talked about forgiveness and grace and, and Christ, and I thought, well, all right, you know, you, that's... Uh, Probably not as much as I'd like to give it, but I don't really expect a whole lot from Anglicans usually. So <laughs> I, was... I've hung out enough with Episcopalians to know that that no sermon is complete without quoting either Martin Luther King Jr. or Bishop Desmond Tutu. Oh yes, that yeah. those that's their Martin Luther for us. You know, we 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 really can't. You can't. It's not a real Lutheran sermon if you don't quote Luther in some capacity. So. But Desmond Tutu or Martin Luther King Jr., um, I, I actually, the whole service, I thought, was really quite excellent. Uh, the traditional liturgy held sway. I found it kind of ironic that they're reading this purpose of marriage, its institution, it's, it's, it's intended for a man and woman to be united for life and blah, blah, blah. It's the same words that we use, essentially. Uh, that he read in the beginning of the service, and I thought, well, this is interesting here. So they, it was it was by the book in many ways, and yeah. very, very dignified and great hymns. The two hymns they picked were just magnificent. Well, didn't they also sing Stand By Me? 
They did. They they yeah. had two choirs. They had uh, the the standard sort of cathedral choir with the boys, uh, which means they had you know descant at every last stanza, which is fine by me when they're singing it. And then they had a black gospel choir, right? That did two. They did two pieces. They did "Stand by Me," uh, which uh, okay, you know we have this this tension about not doing that kind of music in a wedding ceremony. But let me tell you something. It, if you bring that choir into my church, they can sing whatever they want. I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm fine with. The other was you had to pay attention, but at the end, after Harry and Meghan came out of the church, they were singing "Amen" and "This Little Light of Mine." Oh, I didn't catch that. And rocking the house, just rocking the house. Yeah, I gotta say that's probably the loudest preaching and or singing that they've ever had in that <laughs> cathedral. Well, you could tell in its long history. You could tell that British royalty, which isn't known for its exuberance, was having a little bit of difficulty <laughs> with the, with the, the bishop, okay? And and the guy behind right. him who is running the service with these really horrid vestments. I mean, it's like the worst color I've ever seen in vestments. Uh, was he had this like they they had the sideways look. He's in the background of Bishop Curry the whole time he's preaching. And he's got this look like he's being tortured slowly. I, I think waterboarding might have been humane at this point for this guy because it was just torturing him just to listen to this. Now, I don't know much about British uniforms and that sort of thing, but it, it seemed that, that Prince Harry's was greatly influenced by Seinfeld's pirate shirt with the <laughs> fluffy part in the front. And yeah, I'm well, not, he and his brother. Not real sure about that. He and his brother. Hey, did you see the bad lip syncing version of it? Yes, bad lip reading. Brilliant, fantastic. Oh, that lip sync, lip reading. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. They, they do. They do a wonderful job on everything. It's <laughs> <laughs> the the Republican debates were particularly oh, priceless yeah. in 2016. I, I forgot just about fantastic. That. But yeah. I, I thought on the main, you know, as a pastor and. I don't know about you, but I watch these services kind of with fear and trepidation because they're high profile. They got a lot of media. You know, all the young girls are watching this and getting ideas for their wedding. Uh huh. And so I watch these things, not because I'm interested in royalty, couldn't care less, not because I'm interested in Harry and Meghan, eh, whatever. But I want to know what the girls are going to be bringing into this is what I want at my wedding. Mm-hmm. And you know how you got the unholy trinity of weddings, the, the the bride, the mother of the bride, and the wedding coordinator. These three women are just conspiring to take over the whole wedding. And this is where they get their ideas from. So I'm, I'm watching this very closely. And I got to say that uh, that wedding hit a home run for, for example, Megan's dress, modest, beautiful. Very tasteful. Yeah. Tasteful. You know, Simple. In a lot of ways. I swear, some of the brides that I see, it's like, ladies, save it for the wedding night. Or, you know, really, it's not. <laughs> but but Megan's dress is gorgeous. Now, I, I do believe that we're going to see 25-foot wedding, tra- uh, you know, veils, you know, it, at our weddings now. So the bride's going to be standing in the chancel, and the or the train is going to be out at the curb. I think those run about 500 feet a foot. <laughs> I mean, five hundred bucks a foot. Ah, yeah. that's what I meant to say. Five hundred feet a foot. That's that's a Munchausen that no moment, right whatsoever. there. Whatsoever. Yes. I love that they sat. I try to encourage yes. my couples to sit. It it prevents fainting, and uh, I love that they sat. 
Uh, I thought these, the, the cameo shots of royalty during the sermon were hilarious. Can somebody just, like, poke them and keep them awake? They cannot stay awake in church. They, I've never seen a more bored, uh, you know, sleepy-eyed. They, they must have been partying hard <laughs> the day before. Elton John with these octagonal glasses on. Yes. It was, just, it was like, surreal. There was almost a Monty Python-esque vibe to it at some level but on the whole it was i think very dignified well i you know what i thought was interesting also is is megan's half black and her mother i think they they made a point of saying that she's like the great granddaughter of american slaves or something like that and so it's kind of this american culture collides with british royal propriety yeah and uh so it kind of made for a very interesting stew well, it was it was postmodern in many ways that it it layered deep tradition, the the old traditional texts of the Book of Common Prayer wedding rite, which has withstood thus far uh, the attempts even to redefine marriage. Uh, it, they, it was it, that wouldn't pass muster in liberal circles today, oddly enough. But you have that, and then you have the. The gospel choir singing "Stand by Me." You have the revival-style preacher, although he was really preaching well within the black uh, rhetorical style. That's is very common and and well. I give him eleven out of ten on the rhetoric scale. Hmm. Um. I like I said, I didn't really pay attention to the whole thing. Uh, did they have the Ephesians five reading? Do you uh, no, know? No. In fact, I, I heard some talk that. Uh, there are two places where the couple kind of acknowledge that their intent to marry and and to abide by the purposes of marry, of marrying, and uh, she left out the obey, which is ah. part, that's part of the traditional right, and that was that was missing that she promises to obey him, and so there was that equalitarian thing. So that's about the only thing, though, that that I caught that that changed the the traditional wording. I do have a, a clip of the gospel moment, and it was a good one uh, from the bishop's sermon. I thought I'd play it. All right. Someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in all of human history, a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world and a movement mandating people to live that love. And in so doing, to change not only their lives, but the very life of the world itself. I'm talking about some power, real power, power to change the world. If you don't believe me, Well, there were some old slaves in America's antebellum South who explained the dynamic power of love and why it has the power to transform. They explained it this way. They sang a spiritual, even in the midst of their captivity. It's it's one that says there is a bomb in Gilead. I thought he was going to sing at this point. That can make (laughs) things right. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And one of the stanzas actually explains why. They said, if you cannot preach like Peter, and you cannot pray like Paul, 
You just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. Oh, that's the palm in Gilead. This way of love, it is the way of life. They, they got it. He died to save us all. He didn't, he didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. <laughs> he, he, he didn't, he wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life, he sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world, for us. That's what love is. Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial. And in so doing, becomes redemptive. And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love changes lives, and it can change this world. That ain't bad. No, not bad at all. I like his style. I, I think we can learn a lot from it. I, I think very often our preachers, and myself included, tend to be a little bit more lecture classroom style. Mm. And what I appreciate about him is this sense of immediacy. I, I love that he preached from an iPad. That was kind of strange, or a, a tablet. <laughs> but he rarely looked at it. He was, he, was, he was engaged, and he's in a very awkward position because he's facing sideways in a very long chapel that really isn't conducive to eye contact. So he's got to look around a lot. <clears throat> but he's, he's, just, he's just like embracing that whole pulpit and you get this idea that this man is speaking out of conviction and, yes. he, and he's not yeah. just kind of speaking platitudes or abstract concepts but but he's he's creating vivid imagery and uh, i i really appreciate the craft in that you know content maybe eight and a half or nine out of ten but but uh, still um you know, love in general is not redemptive. The love of God in Christ is redemptive. But I'm not going to quibble here uh, with an occasional sermon and a very— How would you like to be the one to preach that? Uh, I'd be criticized by everyone, including you. I'll take a pass. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm busy. i gotta, I got to weed my garden. Sorry. I'd love to help you guys. but uh... you, you know who speaks like that in general? Jimmy Craig. He does. He speaks out of authority. Right. He speaks out of authority. Okay, so on the other side of this, two days ago, uh, May 23rd, uh, Washington, D.C., Episcopal Church bishop who garnered widespread praise for a lively sermon or his lively sermon during Sunday, Saturday's British royal wedding now plans to lead a protest against, quote, dangerous crisis of moral and political leadership on May 24th. So basically what happened is they had a big uh, prayer meeting in Washington, D.C., and then he led a march against on, on the White House against President Trump. Well, so, you know, the, the, the lovely goodness that's done in that sermon, you, you see this, and it's like, uh, come on, man. You can't just leave it alone. You, so. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't criticize him for that necessarily. I mean, he's taken some stands that might uh, prove to be in conflict with the authority of the scriptures that he's citing, and that's a bigger, he, that's he, a bigger he, problem. He denounced Trump's political stances as heresy. That's kind of <laughs> that's a little loose in turn. I mean, I, I think there's a lot with Trump that one could take issue with. I think there's a lot that could be said about the political 
you know, just the political climate in this country. But that's not I I think stoking the flames of protest and all of this is not going to bring that healing balm of Gilead anywhere. Right. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at here is. But but here's here's my point is what he does in his other life and in his spare time is irrelevant in a sermon. And this is where I take umbrage with some of these people who say, oh, well, we really, we know what he really stands for. We know what he's really like. No, no, no. He delivered the goods in that sermon. I, I give right. him props for a, that. A sermon is, a, is an event, and, and the event transcends the man. I don't care. You know, if, if Balaam's ass can preach a sermon, then anybody, then anybody can. And it, you say, we can't, we can't use his, his other stuff and filter it into this sermon. We have to hear it for what it's <laughs> I worth. know. That just popped up on my radar as we were listening to this. I'm like, wait a minute. I heard about this just yesterday that uh, he went and led this protest calling Trump a heretic because of his political stances, which is really bizarre. What I love as I was watching <laughs> the, uh, the video... But I love when I was watching the video as I was playing this. And when he gets to the you can tell the love of Jesus, you can say he died for all. Uh, Prince Philip looks up and he gives this look like he's never heard this before. Serious. Yeah, it's it's I don't know what he was thinking, but that's what it looked like. Because the picture focused on the queen and and the prince. And it, it was like the shocked look. And I, I remember talking about. Did wife, he say, Grandmama, does that mean for the commoners, too? <laughs> but I, 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 that's his wife, <laughs> not his grandmother. But, but uh, the guy's like 99 years old. Oh, oh I, Prince Philip. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, he's like ancient. It, I'm sorry. I was thinking Andrew. That, you know, it's, it, it would seem that uh, perhaps that message might be of some urgency given his age. I, don't, I wasn't <laughs> sure if he was going to make it to the end of the wedding. But, uh, yeah, I, I said to my wife, I said, you know, they probably haven't heard words like that in that chapel <laughs> very often. And, and I think, uh, you know, within the context, uh, I think the bishop did a, a very good job. He did get a little carried away at times. And I understand that he exceeded his ompt. Uh, I think he was given a schedule of six minutes. And you know, ah. you know what happens when you give clergy a time limit. Well, and you give them a microphone. Oh, man. You know, I've done enough, like, conferences and, and that <laughs> where you have, a tight, you have a tight schedule, okay? And so you have morning prayer, evening prayer. You have all this stuff. And you have preachers that come in, and you tell them five minutes. You have five minutes. And, and you tell the musicians, you have 20 minutes to do the service. And the two great transgressors of time, preachers and musicians, they outcompete each other. They're, they're yes. you know, who can take so up you, more time? You end up with the 18-minute sermon and the, uh, yeah. The, right. Uh, and, and every hymn has a 20-minute introduction. It's like, right. really? <laughs> well, and we have four distribution hymns. Even though we're done after two, I have to play the other two. Right. They must be played. Right, right. Because yeah. they're in the bulletin, so Not, they must be played. I have a rule. If if you don't start it, you don't play it. <laughs> well, if you start I mean, it, you finish it. Okay, we're just going to sing There's a certain logic to that, that yeah, if you just, never start it, you can't. Yeah. But, you know, these, these, these halfway hymns are dangerous because you end on a really weird stanza and everything goes haywire. But, <clears throat> no, I have a rule. If you, if you start it, you can finish it, but don't start it if you don't need to. So that's the royal wedding. I, I think all in all, it set a really good visual precedent. Uh, I don't know why Americans are so hung up on royalty. We we cut ties with royalty <laughs> many years ago, but I think we lack 
what we we lack a, a national symbol all we all we have is a flag and uh and an anthem and a piece of paper the constitution that the, we rally around that that's hard to rally around i think it's much easier to rally around uh you know people in in dress and well we do have a president and... with very strange eyes yeah. just saying <laughs> strange eyes. i've been i've been watching him lately and i'm like you got to either lay off the tanning booth or not wear the goggles. One or the other. Oh, it's yeah, just he the does. He got the raccoon, raccoon, raccoon eyes. Yeah, and I don't know what that's all about. Do you but... know what rescues Trump in terms of public image? His wife, Melania. Yes, absolutely, yeah. perfectly dressed for every occasion. Does stunning. not miss a beat. No, ever. Just, just stunning. Amazingly well put together. Mocked incessantly for wearing high heels in an inappropriate day or something. I mean, it's like, come on, really? I, I have never seen a single thing to mock. And as long as we're having fun, <clears throat> if you watch the wedding, you got to love the hats. The hats were awesome. The hat. I haven't seen that much plumage on the heads of women since the Kentucky Derby. There's a, a great picture going around Facebook. I can't remember if it's one of the princesses or something but she's got this big hat on and it's all cold cuts on the top it's quite excellent <laughs> yeah they went <laughs> afterwards they had a nice brunch yeah. <laughs> it looks like it looks like an italian sort of spread you know where you just yeah, kind of a little antipasti up there it's nice good, man nice yeah i think that about wraps it up for today craig what do you think yeah i guess we're cooked <laughs> stick a fork in it we're done <laughs> The thing is overcooked at this point. Hey, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to us and our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast app will suck up. Listen to our archives at godwhispers.org. Email us at godwhispers at gmail.com. Craig, would you please take some Beano? <laughs> Thanks to our supporters for keeping us on the air, and thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.